0: Welcome to the Building Science podcast. Welcome to this uh, Okay. Oh, uh, welcome, welcome to the Building p- Science to the Building Science podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design, brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Erwin, here with my trusty sidekick. Hello, everybody. Do you feel demeaned when I say sidekick? No, it's because I'm kicking you in the side. We're absolute peers, <laughs> side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Oh, kicking me in the side. <laughs> I'm also here today with Chris Smith with Zender. Say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. No, I, hello, uh, <laughs> Building Science Podcast listeners. And uh, let's go ahead. Let's switch around. Let's start with your introduction.
1: How did you come to uh, do what you do, and what do you do? Yeah, um, I am uh, I'm currently a, a business development manager for Zender America. Uh, Zender is a, a Swiss-based company that's interested in uh, indoor climate concerns. It's got a global presence um, here in the U.S. Uh, Zender America focuses primarily on residential ventilation, and... Um, Coming newer business, it's been around for about uh, eight years now. But the, um, the residential yeah. side has been around for about eight years. Uh, Zender America. Zender so America. The, the American division that is focusing on residential ventilation. Got it. Yeah, but um, but but they're basically Zender America markets products that have been in use uh, through the Zender group in Europe for quite a while. Awesome. Yeah. Okay,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna start there with my introduction, and we'll get yep. back to the to the interview. So ventilation, that word ventilation, it's interesting how something so simple can be so um, still not well understood in our so-called modern, advanced uh, building community. And so those of you listening, chances are good that two things are happening. Uh, One is that you're breathing, and two is that you're in air somewhere. Even if the air is coming out, I guess, out of a scuba tank, you're still breathing, and that (laughs) air came from somewhere. But it's so common that we breathe, and that we are immersed in air, that we lose track of it. To say that air is just, oh, it's just oxygen and nitrogen and some trace gases, that's like saying water is just hydrogen and oxygen, right? There's this there's this oversimplification of the fact that breathing clean air uh, is important, such that we almost don't pay attention to it. Very much like breathing clean water, right? So. I used to... Um, or drinking. Or drinking. Excuse me. Yeah. I, we don't breathe clean water. Maybe you get at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I used to work at a marina. I was a mechanic on boat engines. And my God, the water in the corner of the dock on a hot summer day, that was not... Foul. Clean water. And so... But it's mostly hydrogen and oxygen. But it is mostly, yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, you know, if it were air, right unfortunately, a lot of the pollutants we're exposed to in air and in indoor environments, the particles and the gases. Our bodies and our, our neocortices don't detect them. They don't say, warning, this is not good air to breathe. And what would you do anyway? Um, so yeah, I, that's uh, maybe a roundabout way of just trying to underscore this, this very basic and yet profound importance of breathing clean air when we're inside. Yeah. Okay, for those of you listening, we're not going to go through all the different types of ventilation systems right now at least that's not my intention my intention is to talk about the best ones just to frame this discussion you know we want to get through this in about an hour 40 minutes to an hour and if we don't get to the good part I don't think we'll make that Mm -hmm. and by good part I mean where ventilation systems really need to go where they already have gone but as far as technology but as far as awareness and will and the skill to integrate it hasn't gone so just for completeness there are exhaust only ventilation systems they are very commonly done there are supply only ventilation systems they are very commonly done and then there are appropriate ventilation systems which are balanced mixed and
1: here's the big word tempered can i get turned to you chris could you describe I, I think tempered is a is a good way um so uh all, all three of those basic types of ventilation systems that you just mentioned um, have the effect of moving air, changing indoor air with outdoor air. Mm-hmm. For much of the year and almost every climate, the outdoor air may not be exactly what you want to live in. Mm-hmm. As you exchange that air, ideally what you want to be able to do is probably filter it. Yeah, definitely. And condition it. Mm-hmm. You can condition by meaning, it. by that you mean changing the temperature. Yeah, and change the, the temperature and humidity. There are uh, costly and energy intensive ways of doing that, and then there are less costly and less energy intensive ways of doing it.
0: There you go. I mean, yeah. Okay. To to narrow our focus for this interview, we're going to be speaking about residential ventilation, and we are not going to be talking in in any depth. Maybe no more than these words here about supply-only ventilation, exhaust-only ventilation, or balanced ventilation. We're talking about heat recovery or energy recovery ventilation systems today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're doing that because we recognize, building science consultants generally, or building science as a field generally, recognizes the fact that ventilation is about health, uh, it's about human well-being indoors, and it is also tied to energy use right? if, if you if you could passively temper or meaning preheat or pre-cool the air from outside coming into the building wouldn't that be great mm. and in fact we can right let's talk about residential ervs and hrvs mm-hmm. so what's the difference between an hrv and an erv and i think maybe you should define those acronyms yeah okay
1: hrv is heat recovery ventilator erv is energy or enthalpy most uh, lay people don't know the word enthalpy, so it can be confusing. Yeah. So I think in general, in the industry, an ERV has been called an energy recovery ventilator. The difference functionally is that um, a heat recovery ventilator allows you using only the active mechanical power of two fans,, to, um, which ain't much, right? to, to move two air streams, an outdoor airstream and an indoor airstream and to move those in such a way that they are those air streams are exchanged inside the house so you're basically getting rid of stale indoor air and you're uh, bringing fresh quote unquote fresh outdoor air into the building and with the heat recovery ventilator those two air streams are passed through a passive uh, heat exchanger a core inside this cabinet where these two fans are and in that core typically what you'll find in a plate heat ex- type heat exchanger is many layers with many uh, channels um, where these uh, two air streams can flow. They're directional so that the two air streams never actually mix or touch, but they're separated by very thin membranes, typically plastic membranes. They could be aluminum or some other material, but usually plastic. And through conduction, the warmer airstream gives off its heat to the cooler airstream. So, again, the only active parts of this system are the two fans. Yes, yeah, so that's an HRV. So you can, you can, again, with very little energy input, just in a couple of fans, move air and exchange heat so that you can temper. Now you don't have to spend money to either reheat or recool that outdoor air. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or at least you can minimize the yeah, extent absolutely. to which you influence the indoor environment. Um, now with an energy recovery or enthalpy recovery ventilator... We have the same principle, basically the same structure and, and, and format of the machine. The difference is in the membrane inside the core and uh, all those many channels with many membranes now can not only pass sensible heat, uh, but they can pass humidity, vapor, vapor. Oh, you didn't say latent heat. I very well did. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you can help temper both uh, the uh, sensible, what we feel as temperature, as well as the the uh vapor pressure of the air mm-hmm. and it's it's similar that the the, the airstream with a higher vapor pressure uh moves humidity to the airstream with lower vapor pressure mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and so it's interesting this this simple act of changing the incoming temperature let's just stay with temperature it could have probably derailed what, what has been a 10-year delay or so in here in austin texas getting ventilation into buildings generally and especially uh Homes, and what I mean by that is, about ten years ago, we were really making great strides with energy code. Right, it was two thousand and nine, and the whole world was just gaga about reducing operational energy of homes and buildings. And kind of like a, a casualty left on the side of that situation was health, yeah. and was was ventilation air. And I can remember really heated arguments um, with architects and builders about. What the heck? You know, we're, we're going to all this trouble to make an airtight building, and then we punch holes in it and bring ventilation in. That's going to use so much energy. That's just crazy. If you used an ERV in our climate, instead of bringing in, I'll just stay with the heat part, instead of bringing in 100-degree air, you simply uh, temper it, I mean, do this heat exchange mm-hmm. that you talked about, and you're getting 78-degree air, 76-degree air, it's like, depending on what the inside condition sure. is. So that would have, like, quelled a lot of it. But... There was also this implicit, oh, any ventilation system that we're going to deem acceptable as an industry can't add cost or complexity right mm-hmm. And so that was the problem. That's why we ended up with these air cyclers and they're still used today. Mm-hmm. I mean it's you know that I, I jokingly refer to that's ventilation based on fiction because <laughs> you put a six- inch duct 15 minutes an hour, you want let's say 50 CFM continuously should be 200 CFM mm-hmm. for 15 minutes yeah, an hour. Right. And I uh, hope I didn't just lose you listeners, but basically 15 minutes an hour is a quarter of an hour. If I need 50, I need to multiply that times 4 to get the full hour. Yeah. So 50 times 4 is 200. And then you have this 6-inch duct, right? So, excuse me, how am I getting 200 CFM yeah, through exactly. my 6-inch duct, right? And it's twisting and turning. and So, yeah, tempering ventilation air, this, this tempering process that you described. It's simply you've got this dry, cool air mass. Why don't... In humid, and I'm, I'm biasing toward hot humid. Yep, yeah, right. Um, why don't I use that dry, cool air mass to, to temper passively just using fans, the incoming airstream, and then in a cold climate, you've got some serious cold air outside. There will be a definite yeah. comfort issue. Yeah. Uh, if you don't temper it. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: that I've had uh, is i talk to people who if they have if they have a ventilation system that creates comfort issues in other words if that, that could be um, it delivers untempered air or poorly tempered air mm-hmm. um, or it's just noisy mm-hmm. which can be a function of the machine or it can be a function of the ductwork. Right. but either of those things will cause people to just shut these things down mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're not educated about its purpose and about how vital it is to their well-being. So, um, so there's you know even if you do go through the effort of, of doing some of these things and it's done poorly, yeah, um, then people are just shutting them down anyway. Yeah, Brett yeah. Singer talked about that, yeah. finding that. Yeah. And unfortunately,
0: when you shut them down, it's not like a red light goes on on your body's breathing dashboard saying you know you're breathing carbon monoxide now, carbon dioxide, phthalates, plastic. You know, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't happen. So I actually went into continuous versus intermittent, and I want to make a comment on that one. So there's ventilation standards, ASHRAE 62.2 is the appropriate one for ventilation, I'm sorry, for residential, and it's a good basis. There's, oh my gosh, this Mm -hmm. conversation could sprawl (laughs) out tremendously here, but um, it's a good basis, and it, it has this difference between continuous ventilation and intermittent ventilation, and Even that is nuanced because you can do intermittent ventilation with minimal degradation of air quality um, if you do it right and you do it appropriately. But I think implicit in that statement is, you know, the best way to ventilate is the way you're breathing. It's like you're breathing all the time. Let's ventilate all the Mm. time. And given that there's technologies to do that and relative to the cost of any build, any construction that any of you are associated with, it's relatively minor. Right. um, It just seems sensible to do it. it. It's really interesting, and this is getting beyond ventilation, but what we prioritize in our buildings are things we can see, things we can touch. And air has it rough. Um, So continuous versus intermittent
1: ERVs and HRVs, they're implicitly continuous, right? No, they're not not actually. Tell me me about Yeah, so I mean much of the industry in North America... um, is is assumes intermittent operation. Really, even yeah. In residential. Yeah, yeah, hmm. um, and um, how much intermittent? It varies, um, and I think I I think the the reason for this is um, related to kind of the history of the adoption of of this technology okay, in North America. Um, the first. You know the first buildings that were really getting balanced heat recovery ventilation were, um, I, I think, buildings in in Canada, hmm. uh, residential buildings anyway, and um, and so you know in a cold climate and and the reality is even though we're sitting here in Austin having this conversation, the industry basically has its roots in cold climate mm-hmm. um, technology. So. In a cold climate, uh, you have to deal with frost, and uh, the, the, you know, as you change this air, um, the two air streams are both changing temperatures. Yeah. And relative to the outdoor air, in the middle of heating season in a cold climate, uh, the indoor air is relatively humid, and so as it as it goes through the exchanger and it starts to drop temperature, the water vapor in that air condenses, and it's going to freeze. It's because the air temperatures yeah. are so uh, different. So, um, so you have to have a frost or defrost strategy. And the common defrost strategy is to turn it off. Run it off And uh, and and either um, recycle that air through the building, so to so not turn right, it off the warm air. Yeah, yeah. But you can you, you have variations of that, but but, but basically in one area, one way or another. You're gonna um, you're gonna halt this continuous ventilation process in order to defrost the mm. core. Mm-hmm. So, for that reason, um, again, because that's where the roots of most of this industry are, most designs of products are geared around this intermittent process. Yeah. And. Um, Interesting. And the other aspect I think is because they're they're frequently going back to your comment you made earlier about cost. This needs to be done. <laughs> in a, in a way that impacts costs, you know, almost. minimally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that um, you know the the preferred method is also to tie the ERB or HRV into the uh, to the air handling system for heating and cooling, um, and so those typically operate intermittently too. Um, so you, you just kind of come at it with this whole assumption of intermittence all all the way around the conversation. Interesting is the way it seems. See, I, that's that's
0: my humid climate bias. Yeah. I'll put that on me. Yeah, sure. Because no. really from a, a sensible heat temperature, and just briefly about that, sensible heat really just refers to the fact that the molecules in the air are vibrating. Yeah. To the, if they vibrate more with more energy, we call that higher heat. And since I'm talking about that, the latent heat, like if you put a drop of water on the table in front of you... It's going to go away. It's going to evaporate into the air, so that Depending moisture. Turning the relative humidity. The, of the right, air you're you're yeah. right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. If it's warm enough and dry enough in the yeah. surrounding air mass, that water is going to absorb heat from the surrounding air mass, and therefore, and then change phase and be in the air as a vapor. So now, water vapor in the air is absorbed heat, or is simply heat. Right. So it's a very simple uh, concept, but. So here in Austin, sensible temperature-wise, we've got it pretty easy, right? Like, you know, it goes up to 110 out, which mm-hmm. is no slouch, but that's still, if we're keeping, even if we're keeping it at 70 inside, which yeah. is cold when it's 110 yeah. out, that's a 40-degree temperature difference, whereas where you're from, what would be a wintertime temperature difference?
1: I mean, your, your average difference in the winter, if, if you're at freezing, if you're at 32 Fahrenheit, you're you're looking at a 40 degree difference we're very often even in in, uh i live in kind of central new england we're we're very often in single digits during the winter not not the whole winter but it gets there quite a bit Mm -hmm. and in canada it would go negative oh yeah absolutely yeah so so you could have a 80 90 that's right yep degree temperature temperature. that's right yeah yeah so that delta t um really impacts again if you're thinking about changing outdoor air with indoor air it really impacts both not just the energy consumption but it impacts comfort too yeah Mm -hmm. and comfort drives behavior so you know how people choose to use the systems will depend on how it feels
0: But unfortunately, that's a thermal comfort aspect, right? So they'll feel a cold draft or they'll feel hot air. Right, that's right.
1: But, but they but won't but feel carbon monoxide. No, but way. they respond to what they feel. Mm-hmm. We respond to what we feel. Yeah. Um, no, not us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I think, the, the, and, and, it, and it this touches on this difference of intermittent versus continuous ventilation um, just like we, I think we recognize that if we can, if we can get a building that can operate in a pretty stable manner, then we avoid a lot of spikes in temperature and a lot of spikes in, in mechanical activity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then a, we're more comfortable. B, we're more energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that works and it, and it, it doesn't, so it, it sort of drives acceptance. Um, and um, and people people are cool with those systems that mm-hmm. work that way if you have a system that's operating intermittently and you're in an environment where your delta t could be 70 80, 90 degrees and you have marginal heat recovery effectiveness in your appliance that's 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 you're going to feel that yeah, you're in gonna the building. Uncomfortable, yeah and and it's and you're not going to want you're not going to want to run it if you don't have to so you'll look for ways to shut it down you'll look for ways to use it minimally Whereas if you can if you can have a system and a quality of appliance that that allows for continuous comfortable operation that deals with that delta T, then your your rate of adoption is much higher.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that's I see. I understand your logic now. That's why in the North American market, um, HRVs were
1: how this system got introduced, right? HRVs were kind of the first wave of 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 um, yeah, technology. Just thought about you know that that thermal difference. But the other thing about HRVs is well, again, if because this 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 whole industry, I think, really got its legs in in the uh, cold climates. You think about intermittent usage. One of the things that you're dealing with indoors in a cold climate during the heating season, especially if you're ventilating. You're changing the relative humidity. As soon as you bring oh, that yes. outdoor air in, which is already at a very low RH, you bring it indoors and you heat it up. Well, you drop the RH even more. Yeah. So maybe we don't have to explain all that in this conversation, but it's just the fact. So ventilation uh, in a in a heating climate tends to dry out a building. When you're using ventilation intermittently, that drying effect is sort of mitigated. Yeah. So when you're using intermittent ventilation, an HRV is less detrimental to indoor comfort during heating season in a cold climate. Once you start ventilating continuously with an HRV in a cold climate, you feel that dryness kicks in fast. So that's of over drying. Using an ERV is a better choice in almost all heating climates if you're going to do continuous ventilation. You you drop a little bit on your sense uh, sensible recovery. The membrane structure and material is not quite as effective at, at uh, transferring sensible heat. But the payback and the latent is is terrific. So again, in a heating climate, what that means is comfort. In a cooling climate, that and the idea yeah. is abso- absolutely <laughs> essential. You 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 know yeah because it allows you to reject outdoor humidity mm-hmm. as long as you you are conditioning the indoors right. You use you know you, you spend energy on cooling and drying the indoor climate and now you can use that cool dry air mass to your advantage in an ERV because as you send that through the, the core it will suck heat across the membrane from the outdoor air that's coming in it's funny how these these questions and thoughts are intertwined so much intermittent use HRV use versus ERV use and and kind of the origins of our industry they all sort of it's a puzzle that fits together in a way. Yeah, well yeah. said. You know, we, we actually
0: had a project, oh, I guess about a year ago now, it wrapped up in Seattle. And mm-hmm. uh, got down to the, quote, simple choice of HRV or ERV and um, had some challenges. Yes. You know, it's a very intelligent project team. The owner completely committed to health and well-being. That was mm-hmm. one of the main points. And, of course, energy efficiency and we were advocating for an ERV, and what was commonly done was HRVs, and you know, it was pretty simple, but basically we picked a couple of times a year, showing them that in their climate for you know, certain times of year, it was very humid out for three, four, five days in a row, and if you had an HRV, then you'd be running your dehumidifier that much more. So it was a fairly simple argument that actually had a lot of people going, oh, really? You know, like I mean, mean the general contractor who had this project plus ten other projects yeah. with HRVs now yeah. is going. Oh wait,
1: if this one's going to go with an ERV. yeah. And the Pacific Northwest is a is a strange area because it it's it. I think it's a heating dominated climate. I've got. Yeah. I've it's got, not too humid too often. I've got a, a a a colleague on our staff who is in. I always mess it up, but he's basically right outside Seattle. Okay. And he says they you know they've got a couple of different climate zones right there. Huh. And choice between, for him, yeah. the choice between HRV and ERV really comes down to whether you're in that marine climate or you're just off of that. Mm-hmm. And it can be, the, the effect can be dramatic. Mm-hmm. So that's an area. And then, the, and then there's, I, I've got another colleague uh, in our company who's, who's uh, based in California. And California is a place where there's like 16 different yeah. uh, climate zones or, or microclimate zones or however you say it, right right in that one state. You know, that those choices can get difficult. But for most of us around the country, the choices are pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Northeast, with the with the caveat that we're typically talking about continuous ventilation, we call for ERVs almost all the time. And the, the, only, the only time there that we wouldn't is when the... Uh, the occupancy is going to be high for the space, so if you're in a, a multifamily building that maybe it's maybe it's a low mod housing project, and you know for the square footage you're. Going What's to that mean? Low mod. A low to moderate income, so okay. so it's typically it. you know um, a subsidized housing project with public funding and the you know the design footprints of the of the apartments are smaller. Um, occupancy is usually a little bit higher than average in those settings. You know our our logic of using an ERV to maintain some comfortable indoor humidity during the heating season kind of goes out the window because there's just it's a smaller space there's more people in there and the moisture that gets generated in those buildings is much higher so you're looking to evacuate that moisture you use the HRV. Mm-hmm. So there's a few caveats but but by and large for a lot of the country now even in, in even Canada if we're talking about continuous ventilation we're we're thinking ERVs almost all the time. So hot,
0: dry might be a place where an HRV. Yeah, right. Sense. That's right. It, you know, HRVs. Let's talk a tiny bit more about HRVs and ERVs entering mm-hmm. the U.S. market. Um, I don't want to make this a quiz or anything, but where are we in that? I mean, how do we know what yeah. percentage of new builds get an HRV or an
1: ERV? Well, it totally depends on where you're at in the country. Um, well, where you are in the northeast is, the, I do fairly advanced. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> well, down here, are very, very few. Sure, you sure. Know, we're putting them in our well, designs. Yeah, and I'd say, I'd say it's very few up north as well. So. It's, I mean, the code is starting to drive it a bit more, but code officials are people that just like the rest of us that need to come up to speed, they're people that, you know. Code officials are people? Yeah, uh, they they're, you know, they're trying to they're <laughs> trying to they're trying to learn things. I'd say in the northeast, uh, adoption is still fairly slow. There are places in the US, I see um, like the state of Minnesota, I think has a code now that is pretty much requires an HRV or ERV in every new build residentially. There might be other pockets in the in the uh, upper Midwest that are like that. Uh, and certainly Canada you know, there's a lot of provinces in Canada where where HRvs or VRVs are mandated um, those Canadians yeah but um, on their game but it's but it's it's yeah so I'd say it's still pretty slowly building pro- product category throughout the rest of the country yeah and
0: this gets back into lots of social science and social psychology yeah. and the change of markets mm-hmm. like yeah. why like we are the rest of our world is technologically sophisticated but homes and you know, residential buildings are less yeah
1: and, and there's yeah there's cultural stuff that that i think this gets this gets real anecdotal and whatever and it could yeah. be mean i suppose but <laughs> <laughs> um, but i feel like in our culture you know when we talk about health and wellness we we um there's a lot of superficiality that kind of still mm-hmm Healthcare drives the way people think about that. Care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, so what does the healthcare system look like? How do people think about health? And then how do we perceive people that are well? A lot of that can be driven by uh, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, the the point that you that you began with, which is that we don't see, smell, taste most of the indoor air quality issues that affect our health and well being. We're unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, out our mind, yeah.
0: So. You, you could almost argue, Chris, that it's it's not even psychological. It's like mammalian, because we're mammals, yeah. right? We, if if we had evolved to sense PM two point five, and if we had evolved yeah. to sense carbon monoxide, but there was no need to, yeah. Um, so we didn't. And then, in a relative recent past, we
1: moved to this place called indoors, <laughs> <You're> right? Right. <laughs> yep. There's um, and I wish I I I have told. Uh, People at work that wish, 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 that we had produced this video. Maybe you guys have seen it. That um, from uh, Velux Skylights put this video together. Oh yeah, the chamber. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Um, the indoor generation, and a terrific presentation. Yeah, we'll link to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to Velux's credit, you know, th- they didn't they didn't push skylights a whole lot in that in that video that they made. They just really called public attention to this issue. We take indoors for granted, you know, what, what it means for us, We're what we don't think about. Yeah. And, um, and we live in a fishbowl of yeah. our own making, and
0: yeah. we don't currently clean the water. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we are pooping in it in some ways.
1: Yeah. You know, and, we're yeah. It. Geopolitical issues and and, and um, climate issues and resource issues, all those things have kind of converged in, in recent decades to say, well, we need to make our houses tighter. We need to insulate it better and, and control you know, don't make them less leaky and that's not a bad thing um, For energy for operational energy. Yeah, right and 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 even for our health as long as we can control The air mm, that's quality true. and air that's flow in and out. I liken it to human biology You know if, if if when a baby comes out of the mother's womb That first thing everybody's looking for is for them to open their mouth and to take their first breath and it's and it's a cool thing, and yet it indicates that there's a there's a very controlled way that we breathe, and that those passageways are have, have very distinct purposes. Their their structures and makeup and everything are are completely geared to the function. Um, you wouldn't take a baby out of well, this the is from a man who has six kids. Yeah, by yeah, way. <laughs> right. I, 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 yeah, got I'm, to watch this I'm staying here in Austin with my oldest son who lives here. And I caught him from the womb, yeah. And he started but breathing. He did, <laughs> but you wouldn't take a baby out and just randomly start puncturing its chest with an ice pick in order to say, "Oh, it right. needs to breathe. It needs to breathe." Um, no, there's a way. There's a controlled way that we breathe. It's by design. You're so. talking about a building with, with. And yeah, leaks so yeah, build, so why closure. you know the the idea that we expect buildings to breathe through random leaks? Yeah. Meanwhile, we're we're systematically developing our industry to, to eliminate those leaks, we have to have a more controlled, yeah, yeah. deliberate way of, yeah. of we here have been talking about air. the air
0: distribution systems generally as being the lungs of the building. Yep. And in fact this one is is you know ERVs and HRVs are truly the lungs yep. of the building. I mean this is the, the breathing end of it because the the other lungs of the building are delivering temperature change mm-hmm. for comfort. This is let's talk about cores a little bit now we talked about enthalpy and heat exchange cores Um, and you said it was made of plastic but it's a thin plastic right so when you think plastic it's not like it's just a plastic wall (laughs) so it's this interesting plastic where the heat can flow right through it and the moisture can flow right through it but the uh Air masses stay separate. Um, let's see. How did, how did cores come to exist? Do you know? Like, who did the initial research? Enthalpy recovery cores or mm-hmm. energy recovery cores. Yeah.
1: Like, where did those come from? Like, Tyvek? Someone just said, hey, look, a piece of Tyvek works like a <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, yeah, we have a man who's, who's a consultant a for us now, but actually founded the Comfort Systems which is a it's a brand name but Dr. Rudy Creasy is a really interesting person who um, was trained as a mechanical engineer in the 1980s he traveled all around the U.S. and he was particularly interested in learning about the energy conservation practices of the developing U.S. market yeah so in the 80s we were on our game yeah we were yeah we kind of took we're taking the lead Mm -hmm. and um and the Europeans were coming here to learn from us. Um, <laughs> he he went back, and eventually the thing that's important, I guess, to, to to my reference point with Rudy Creasy is that he went back. He he ended up developing um, an entire um, building standard um, geared around primarily around energy conservation. It did include some some technological uh, renewables like so solar thermal. Photovoltaic, but really, um, he 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 built a, a subdivision and did it as a study and monitored everything. They, they they produced every everything they needed for the entire year with the sun and with a quarter or two of wood, um, and that was all their all their uh, heating in and domestic hot water in Switzerland. It's pretty cold. Yeah, but they but anyway, but he came here to learn about it. You know, so I think a lot of core technology was developed here in North America as well, um, and the, the whole heat recovery ventilator technology was.
0: So okay, let's let's make it more real. So we have a bunch of BRV manufacturers mm-hmm. um, around the world, yeah. um, and they buy material to use in their cores. Mm-hmm. Where do they buy it generally, and like? who someone's making this material yeah it's like
1: a shopping center for <laughs> i think there's a lot of vertical integration of of um, supply chain that's occurred um no, and no. then there's you know and then there's some split-offs and some competition and this is you know typical industry stuff but so there's um, a small there's a handful of manufacturers of core material yeah probably mm-hmm. um so you know our our uh, our technology that we use at my company is um, has, has all been purchased, so it's become vertically integrated. Um, so someone was making core material, and your company purchased that someone. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, um, And then so now you sell core material to other manufacturers.
1: That's true. Ooh. Yeah, and cores. And yeah. cores. Yeah. Oh, the whole core, not just the material. Yeah. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. And and the development so early on, I think you know metal was used in these cores, so the membrane was metal. And, um, you know, you think, well, it's conductive, that's a good... It's going nice to move heat, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, no, not much moisture is going to The through. effectiveness, and, and you can't really just talk about membranes or the plates um, inside these heat okay. exchangers without talking about the, the stack-up of the whole heat exchanger itself and ultimately what kind of effectiveness you get in the heat exchange and in the enthalpy exchange. Um, what do you mean by that, the stack-up? You'd well, in other words, so, of, so you yeah. ultimately you're, it's, it's the system that performs, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can kind of look at a membrane or a plate right. within a core and say, okay, well, this membrane, here's the performance of that membrane, but you don't apply a membrane to a house. You apply a system That's to awesome. a house. And so the core is the heart of that system. It's, it's the, um, you can talk about tissue in each of the air sacs in, in your lungs, right? But Apart from assembling that into a fully functioning lung yeah. with a diaphragm and a human um, body, yeah, right. You know, it, it kind of doesn't matter, and, and and you know, you can the, extend the that that you want to pull the air yeah, right, through your nasal passages, etc. So so all that matters, and it, it has to be thought of together. Anyway, as you stack it up, and this is what happens with the membranes. Practically speaking, is these membranes or plates get stacked up to form a core. So again, you have many layers of channels. That opposing airstreams are passing by each other, and yeah. as you stack that up, you create a surf- certain amount of surface area. Same exact thing with your lungs. Mm-hmm. I was I, I learned in high school or or college that if you took the average human beings' uh, air sacs inside their lungs and you laid them out flat, it would cover a tennis court. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. So there's it's actually the, more like half of a tennis. Okay. Seat, but it's on the order of which but is yeah but yeah. yeah. huge huge surface area. That's your alveoli. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's and that's so that's the similar type of scale that you've got going on inside an HRV or ER or the core. Okay. There's a lot of surface area that you're working with. So okay. yeah. So when I say it's stacked up, that's literally what I mean, and you're creating a lot of surface area. You know, and you're running a certain amount of air through this this core at a certain the more, speed. Yeah. yeah so right. So, residence time. Yeah. So you so you get into talking about rates. Mm. How much air is passing across? How much surface area? In what period of time that has a lot to do with how effective this core is at transferring heat and humidity which will then impact the size of the device exactly like, uh, the exactly. size of the fan yeah and so in a in a market and i'll just make this real again in a market where this isn't a widely accepted product category and the people who are considering it are almost always considering it as an afterthought mm-hmm. are looking to all right, can we shoehorn this into a ceiling in a closet somewhere? Can we, what can, where does this go? We haven't, we haven't previously envisioned a space for this so that the, you know, the pressure is on to minimize the size of this thing. Yeah. And which to, means to make the core. Uh, yeah. 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 Functional. Yeah. But the reality is, and this gets back to the materials you asked me originally about materials. Um, once you get down to the level where you're stacking that many layers together and you're trying to compress all this, the, the conductive advantage of metal versus plastic uh, begins to lose ground. And so you, there's a couple of factors. One is that you have an air film on every surface, mm-hmm. so you're pushing air through these channels, but there's an air film next to the membrane itself that really isn't moving very much. Right. Once you get to these thin layers, the air film ends up having... You know more impact on the the conductive quality of the membrane than the membrane material itself does so now you get into a manufacturing question what's easier to manufacture and the plastic membrane once it gets that thin it's easier to manufacture the plastic membrane with the channels create ripples like a like a Lay's potato chip hmm. that has lots of surface area on it and so plastic just becomes the favorite fascinating mm-hmm. i hadn't thought of it from a manufacturing. yeah are there still metal core ERVs? There probably are. I, I every now and then I, I see something maybe at a trade show or um, maybe more commercial. Even maybe there. even in the residential realm. So again, you know this in an immature market, cost is a huge driver. So there's the pressures on throughout the industry to sell things cheaply, and so you got to make them cheaply. Yeah. And um, so there's people that use old technology that they can acquire cheaply all kinds of things like that that impact the design of some of these machines. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you, you made a really logical segue into talking about the system. So once once you transition to a, a, a material that you want to be able to move moisture across as well as sensible heat, then you need a different material. And you know the, where exactly that first ERV membrane material came from, I can't say. I know that in our company, the material that we used, the man that first developed this membrane wasn't, he wasn't in the ventilation business. Hmm. He was in uh, some other um, manufacturing process business where, you know, you were interested in, in moving moisture. And so um, that's how that got developed and then they, he discovered the application of this material he realized, you know, I don't know how he came across the information, but he realized that it was actually formed better than any other ERV membrane material currently on the market. And so he made his pitch and started selling building ERV cores. Is is that where Zender came from? No, it's not where Zender came from. But Zender bought um, that company. Zender started buying the membranes from that company and using them in their facility oh, to see. to build up their their cores, oh. and then eventually acquired the company that was developing the membranes. And kind of merge those two branches together to form one company. there right. And so yeah, um, core is is That's the, the name of the company. company. <laughs> yep, and it's it's an acronym for something that you can't recall. Oh really? But um, but core is the is the new company as of a year or two. It's probably two years ago now. And it was a merger of D Point in Canada in Vancouver, uh, and Powell in uh, in Germany, and Zender had acquired both of those companies. Been operating them for a while and then combined them to form this team, Core. That's fascinating. So, Core is is now selling products to a lot of manufacturers in the the industry. And I could see, I mean, we're not going to go
0: down this road, but I could see that if, if Miguel, you're Core and you're developing a range of Technologies, but you're owned by one manufacturer, you're not going to sell your best ones to your competition. (laughs) It seems like I'm going to keep the best technology. Right. All right, so you have this core, enthalpy, heat exchange core. And, you know, let's just real quick. So enthalpy is heat. If you had no moisture, enthalpy is just late, is just sensible heat. Right. But, you know, I'm a physicist, so I I, I think, why would we use another word? Enthalpy is so perfectly (laughs) appropriate for this. Sufficient. Yeah, it's sufficient. Yeah, necessary and sufficient. So um, you have this core, and now you need to bring air in from outside, pass it through the core, and send it Mm -hmm. to the inside. And you need to bring air out from inside, pass it through the core, and send it outside. Fans move
1: those air streams. Where is the industry at with fans right now? What kind of fans are being used? Most manufacturers... Who are trying to advance their business are moving to ECM motors, uh, electrically commutated motors, motors uh, or electronically commutated motors, and they're they're basically you know they provide they're both very efficient in their operation, low watt draw, and they're highly controllable. Mm. I can't imagine anyone's using PSC
0: motors, uh, permanent split capacitor motors.
1: Yeah, it? you're you're uh, yeah I'm not a commercial made. mechanical designer, so I guess I don't yeah. know much about that, but yeah, it's not that. So so they
0: have you have the f- Bands, you have this heat exchange core. I know that there's a difference between cross flow and counter flow. Yeah, that's right. Um, most cores, as I would understand, have some combination of both cross and counter flow today. Wow. Um, I think so. Cross flow
1: was pretty much the standard for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like um, they're moving at ninety degree angles. Yeah. If you see, if you if you know, if you if you do a uh, internet search of of H R V and you look at the images, you almost always see this square tilted at 45 degrees so it looks like a diamond shape. We'll put a picture of this in the show. Yeah, and that's, you know, there's um, and basically that, that functionally that's what you have. You have four faces to this core. Two opposite faces are for the outdoor airstream. So it's entering on one side, it's passing through the core and exiting on the other. So on the first side it's technically called outdoor air. After it passes through the core and it's exiting the core, it's Bench. now called supply air. Supply air is it's heading into the house mm-hmm. to, to ventilate the house. It's supplying the yeah. house. So after air becomes supply air. In the other direction, crossways mm-hmm. flow through that core. You have extract air. We typically call it exhaust because it's just we just kind of lump that together. But it's more accurate to call it extract air. Some people call it return air. But it's air that's being extracted from the house. And from specific locations, ideally, but we'll, we'll get... That's to right, that. yeah. And it's passing through the core, and after it passes through the core, then we technically call it exhaust air, because it's it's going to be directed outside the house through mm-hmm. exhaust duct.
0: Okay. So... so after air, supply air, extract air... Becomes... an exhaust, exhaust air. Yeah, so I, I
1: confess I call it return air, ERV return air. Yeah, and I do, I do a lot of times, too. Mm-hmm. That typical picture that you see of that diamond-shaped or square-shaped, kind of tilted on its axis... Uh, Core is got those two cross flow air streams. And this is oversimplifying it a bit, but if you drew two vectors that represented those air streams, they would intersect at one point. Now, the reality is that inside that core, you've got all these multiple, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of little channels that have been formed. So as they pass by each other, they're passing by each other at many little points. But if you just take two channels, mm-hmm. they're passing by each other at one point yeah. of intersection. So that's cross-flow. That's cross-flow. So you have at that... It's like an intersection in a road. Yeah. And you have at that one point is where your heat exchange or enthalpy exchange is going to take place. It's more sophisticated than that because, again, there's multiple channels. But if you break it down, each channel is... Yeah, a
0: single core ERV. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, a single... uh what would that be called? Like a single tube in the core? Yeah, I'd call
1: it a channel or whatever. Single channel, like there you yeah. go. Thank you, ERV. Now, that's cross-flow. If you talk about a counterflow heat exchanger, mm. it's a little different. A giveaway that you're talking about a counterflow heat exchanger is that the core is not square, it's hexagonal. You've got, you know, two outer edges that serve the same function, which is they're going to be the place where air enters and exits right. in each direction you've got this sort of rectangular section in the middle. Mm-hmm. If you chop off one triangle from one side and the other from the other, you left with this rectangular yeah. section. It makes sense. And what happens in a counterflow heat exchanger is that the air enters into those, those angled portions, but then gets directed so that it comes straight across the, the rectangular portion in the middle. And now you have two air streams, that come at each other directly opposing, and I do as I do in a lunch and learn. I'm always holding my hands up with my fingers pointing at each other. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like so, a, a two lane highway. Yeah, exactly. Two-lane. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you just break it down to two lanes, like we talked about in the last two one, two channels. I mean, yeah, yeah, Then then they're 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 passing by each other. Yeah, like a two lane road with a, with a center dividing line, and and they're passing by each other for a good long distance. Mm-hmm. So you have all that much more time. For heat and enthalpy to exchange mm-hmm. between the airstreams mm-hmm. and you multiply it over, you know, hundreds of thousands of channels and you can get to a, a, a much more effective exchange of heat and enthalpy.
0: Now there's so, another quick pop quiz moment, you mm-hmm. just mentioned hundreds of thousands of channels. Do you have any idea? You, I
1: mean, is it hundreds? Oh, it, easily hundreds, yeah. In, in, it's not thousands. It, I don't know. Oh, it could be in some. Wow. No, probably not. You're probably right. It's probably hundreds. I don't know. It's probably hundreds. But again, it goes... It, so so if, if we... And I don't want to get ahead of where you're going with the question, but... Please um, go. Go wherever you want. But if you take that to the next level, we've said it already, that, you know, the more layers, the more channels that you can devote to this and the more layers that you can devote to this... Let's say you're talking about a system that's going to run 100 CFM. Well, if, if you if you give a, a small core to this process that could fit inside of an 18-inch square box... Mm-hmm. And you say, well, that's going to that's gonna be what you know, however much surface area you can get out of that. Or an 18-inch cubic uh, box, well, you're, you're, that's how much surface area you create. If you expand that and you say your core is roughly 24 by 24 by 24 inches, well, you've just picked up a lot more channels with a lot more surface area. If you run that same 100 CFM through that larger core, your sensible or enthalpy recovery effectiveness is going to be much higher. Mm-hmm. Core geometry and size impacts the performance of these systems.
0: I get it. I hadn't been thinking about the layers so effectively. So it's corrugated uh, tubes, corrugated channels, very much like cross-section of cardboard. Yeah, I'll, I'll give and yeah multiple exactly. layers That's of right. cardboard. Yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and go to effectiveness now, and then we can talk about uh, ductwork or distribution.
1: First, we need to define terms. Well, go for it. Define terms for sensible so, yeah, and so, OK, yeah. When we talk about um, recovery effectiveness, what we're talking about is, is you know, measuring and being able to state how how uh, effective this system is at extracting heat from the warmer airstream and transferring that to the cooler airstream. Um, right. So, we talk about... Um, so, it's like a grade on a test. You can, yeah. You can get 100%. Yeah. yeah. And... The percentage, when we talk about, uh, let's, let's just first start starters talk about SRE, Sensible Recovery Effectiveness, graded as a percentage. The percentage is referencing the delta T. So if your outdoor air, let's say we're in a, uh, a cooling climate, your outdoor air is 92 degrees and your indoor air is 72 degrees, you have a 20 degree delta T Fahrenheit. If you have a 90 percent sensible recovery effectiveness then you're talking about being able using this system to recover 90 percent of the heat from the outdoor air stream and transfer that to the indoor 90 percent of the delta of the of the temperature difference that's
0: amazing does it translate down to 18 degrees 90 percent of 20
1: exactly so if if um if, if that's our example, and we have a 20-degree delta T, and we have a 90% sensible recovery effectiveness, then we're going to be, we're going to be moving 18 degrees. And so now, let's say we start, we start out with a 92-degree outdoor air temperature. It goes through the core. It goes from being outdoor air to becoming supply air. And as supplier, with, with a 90% uh, effective uh, recovery, it now becomes 92 minus 18. So it's, it's going to be 74 degrees. That's,
0: you can see why I said it would have quelled that initial, uh, yeah. fervor here. Like,
1: no, you can't bring all the
0: saturation here. It's like, no, no. What if it's 74 degrees? Yeah. But now, can it, these things be 90% effective?
1: Uh, we'll talk, let's talk about that in a minute. Okay. Go. Um, uh, Lead the, me to it. Yeah, the, and the flip side, so where does that 18 degrees go? Well, it, 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 it attaches itself to the extract air and becomes part of the exhaust air stream. Yeah. So your extract air went from 72 degrees, picked up 18 degrees, and, and got extracted as 90 degrees. With an ERV, you have not only the heat uh, transferring, but you also have humidity transferring. So typically, I'll state numbers that I'm familiar with with our products, and I think it's a... Fairly decent representation, probably, of a decent uh, enthalpy recovery membrane. We talk about in terms of roughly two thirds of the delta in humidity, and we're talking about absolute humidity. So, so grain. Yeah, you got to break out your psychometric chart in order to really get at what that feels like and what it's going to mean. And so we could use dew point or grains for that. Now, I mean, people usually the use the grains. applications that we look at are usually just going to break it down and, and do the math for you, and it's going to turn into R H. Nah. It's a discussion about you know, it gets represented as RH because that's what's meaningful to people usually, at least to lay people. Which is another shame, but yeah, we'll hang yeah. our hat. <laughs> um, and I'll confess that that I'm not a physicist or a or a mechanical engineer, so I'm shifting in my own brain about how to how to think about dew point. So you asked about you know what what where's the industry at in terms of effectiveness. Well, I said earlier that that the the membrane material and configuration. That makes enthalpy exchange possible. That allows you to pass humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, means a bit of a compromise on the sensible recovery. So, whereas a really good a really good SRE in an HRV that's only dealing with sensible is you know the ninety percent range. Woo Caveat the this changes with fan speed. Mm, of course, because and entering it, conditions, yeah, how conditions how much and leaving conditions. Yeah. Sure, but but how much air are you pushing through this in a minute? Uh, if you're pushing a lot of air through it in a minute, all these numbers drop. Hmm. The, these, these recovery rates drop because you're not giving it the same amount of time to exchange energy. Well, this gets back to the intermittent versus continuous. If you did it continuously, That's right. you could have lower flow That's rates. That's right, exactly. Lower flow rates overall, you know... It's more effective. If it's more effective, it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's. All a, right. So see,
0: so you get back to my point. that yeah. Why not do
1: continuous? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in I a, especially if you don't have to worry about defrost. Which I'm talking yeah. about. I'm All with right. you. So six typically, six where five. yeah, where the industry is at is this. So again, because our industry is dominated by you know cold climate uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. And there's all this uh, bias towards towards um, intermittent usage. a uh, Kind of governing body that, that that rates these things and lists them in our industry in North America. They sort of set a mark right around 60 percent for sensible recovery effectiveness for an HRB or ERB. So basically, for instance, if you if you 60 percent would be a, a minimum standard to meet if you're going to be uh, listed with Energy Star Canada, which increasingly looks like it's gonna be if you want to sell a product in Canada you're gonna to have to have that, that listing. So 60% recovery effectiveness SRE, since SRE is um, it's kind of a low threshold. It's not that's not in the industry today that's not that difficult. Better machines are you know like the the, the standard is you know probably somewhere in the maybe 70 75 percent a good machine should be getting ninety okay. percent as an HRB. As soon as you jump to an ERB you give up a, a a certain chunk of that sensible recovery effectiveness. Yeah, but you benefit but we yeah, talked about that. yeah, right, exactly. But to just to to put the numbers out there, a good HRV core that would be at ninety percent plus is probably gonna be in the in the low to mid eighties as an ERB in terms of its SRE, it's sensible uh, recovery. Mm-hmm. And the latent will be um, about two thirds.
0: So low to mid eighties, let's go back to that twenty degree, let's say mid eighties, eighty five. Yeah. That twenty degree delta T. Yep, you're talking about seventeen yeah. degrees. Yeah, seventeen instead of eighteen. You're recovering seventeen degrees. So yeah, yeah. let's not say low to mid eighties. Oh, we just get a B in, in
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's still yeah. that's still excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that makes that's, a, that's very impactful. What about LRE? latent recovery effect yeah so lre is actually only applies to ERBs, mm-hmm. right Makes so sense. in HRB, your your lre is going to be zero mm-hmm. because you can't recover any moisture but again it, this this is going to depend on um kind of the core material this has an impact on that it's going to depend on its application to the core how's the core built and then how much air are you trying to drive through it but in general um if you think about in normal operating speeds a decent erb core ought to be able to transfer somewhere around 60 to 70% that's of the so awesome. uh, of the of the the difference in absolute humidity and that's a
0: profound difference in a humid climate for the indoor microbiome and all the associated oh, yeah. uh, benefits of keeping your home interior dry it's just profound and it just Okay, this is me being anecdotal and speaking as a friend. Like, ah, it just boggles my mind that it's still so hard to get ERVs accepted into our industry. And 10 years ago, it boggled my mind that dehumidification was an uphill fight, um, which is now not so much. And then one quick caveat there is, in a humid climate, the ERV LRE, the latent recovery effectiveness, it is dependent on having this dry air mass, the dry air mass potentially from the dehumidifier, or it could have been from the cooling system, yeah. the dry air mass is, in fact, the motive force which does yeah. the em- enthalpy right. tempering of yeah. the incoming ventilation air. So that, that's one thing, and I'll, I'll say it again, because a lot of you listening don't seem to understand this simple point. ERVs do not dry the incoming air unless the interior
1: air is dry right. to begin with. Another way of saying that is we talked about an LRE. Let's say it's sixty-five percent. That's great. Sixty-five percent of what? Sixty-five <laughs> <That's 65% true>. percent <laughs> of the delta in humidity. That's a great way to. So speak. if the indoor humidity yeah. has risen to a point where there's very little difference between indoors and outdoors, the ERB can't work against yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We have seventy-degree dew points outdoors
0: commonly. I mean, lows, low to mid, very, very commonly. And I definitely measure. Uh, upper 60s in a lot of homes where humidity is not controlled well you want it in the low to mid 50s in dew point interior so if you have 68 degree dew point inside and 72 degree dew point outside and you have 75% effectiveness of 4 degrees of dew point now I have 3 degrees dew point difference so I take my 72
1: down to 69 yeah yeah that's a better way to say it in fact so if if you're if you're conceiving of a mechanical system for a building that is going to have ventilation, and it's going oh, you to have, mean it's going to have people in it? Uh, oh yeah, right, yeah. It's going to have people in it. <laughs> so, it so there's going to be mechanical ventilation, and and it's going to be conditioned. So we're going to make it comfortable, and we're going to make it livable, mm-hmm. healthy. If you can conceive of these systems working together, they they help each other. So a, a a good ERV lessens the load that an active dehumidifier has to do or, or address. Um, Absolutely right. And, and given that you're ventilating. Yep, given that you're ventilating. Because the ventilation air, and this and this has to be acknowledged that in a climate like like uh, Texas, you know, you your ventilation air is going to be your biggest source of latent load inside that house Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, refer to lou Harriman's work (laughs) ashtray guide to humid climates um so yeah a a, a good erv is going to make a dehumidifier have to work less Mm -hmm. and a good dehumidifier is gonna also make the erv more effective right at at doing uh, passive latent transfer
0: right right yeah this is it's fascinating. So I'm getting a little signal from Miguel. This is we're going to be wrapping this part one up, but we're going to keep going because there's definitely more topics here. But uh, for those of you listening, this is the end of part one. And who knew that the V in HVAC could go so deep and so wide? I mean, there's so much to. Who knew the V existed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. HVAC without the V is uh, Thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: Thank you.